You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. The Archaeology Podcast Network is sponsored by Codify, a California benefit corporation. Visit Codify at www.codifi.com. Welcome to the 8-Bit Test Pit, Episode 6. I'm Andrew Reinhardt. Today, Megan Dennis, Tara Copplestone, and I are going to be talking about the ethics of gamification. Ready for the main campaign. Alright, this is 8-Bit Test Pit, uh, and it is February 13th, 2017. Uh, We have Megan, Tara, and Andrew. Hi. Hi. Hello. (laughs) Right, so we're going to start off uh, this, this podcast uh, with the happenings in Archeo Gaming over the last wee while. This is, this is a new thing that we're, we're testing out, um, but there's so many interesting things starting to pop up that we thought maybe it would be cool to kind of highlight some of them. So the first thing on our agenda, which is going to be a bit of a running theme and discussion point throughout the episode today, is space archaeology and specifically the ethics of it. Um, this is in the form of the Global Explorer Project, if I could get my words right, um, which has been making headlines again. It became quite famous a while ago due to a TED talk, um, but has kind of come straight back into hot discussion uh, quite recently. Um, it's a gamified platform for crowdsourcing, archaeological site identification, um, and it's, it's gone live very recently um, to critical feedback from both academic and public audiences. Um, You can see the site for yourself uh, down in the links below. Second point is that the EAA call for papers on Arco Gaming, including a roundtable and a discussion session, like a paper session, has gone out. Uh, If you are interested in Arco Gaming, you should think about going to EAA or submitting a paper if it's your research area. Um, Again, that's down in the links below, and we can uh, have a bit more of a talk about that later because Megan is on the committee which is making that happen, which is awesome. Um, sticking with the Megan theme, uh, our, <laughs> our wonderful lead presenter um, has had her project on Arco Gaming and Ethics go live online, um, which includes a survey and some updates. And you can follow along with that project uh, with the links below as well. I strongly recommend you check it out. It's pretty awesome. And also the theme of today being ethics. Ha ha. Uh, finally, two last points. The Value Project, our friends over at Leiden, um, have done a couple of streams recently, uh, critically assessing the archaeology uh, in games, one of which featured our very own Megan again, sticking with that theme very strongly today. Um, and the links for, for this project, as well as those videos, can be found below. They're, they're really awesome. The one that Megan did was on like the ethics of Tomb Raider and was a lot of fun. And recently there have been some other game-specific ones that they've done. Uh, so they're well worth checking out. And finally, the value book about archaeo gaming and interactive past is almost uh, available now. Uh, there's a really like awesome array of articles from both developers and creators and archaeologists which are going to be in there. Uh, so uh, have a look below, check out the details for that. I have a chapter in there. I believe Andrew has a chapter in there as well. I do indeed. Excellent. So uh, yeah, that's that's me. <laughs> Done. <laughs> mic drop. <laughs> it's an expensive mic, so let's <laughs> don't. Um, <laughs> Yeah, there there's a lot of stuff going on right now, uh, and I think it artificially sounds like I'm doing all of it, but all of it, all of it. Um, but that is not the case. This just happens to be a, a brief spurt of productivity before I go back to writing endless chapters 
Yeah. And endless chapters. Um, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff, though. The, uh, the EAA session is actually, we have essentially a, a full day worth of programming that we're going to offer at the conference. Not computer programming. Not computer like programming. going to sit down and like yeah. bang out some C-sharp <laughs> because that's no one's idea of a good time except for mine. <laughs> we're going to let Tara sit in the corner and do that. Um, <laughs> Buy my own. Yeah, the, oh. the sessions uh, we're going to be running back to back. So we will have um, a full day of, a uh, full half day of papers and a half day of uh, round table. And the round table is open to all conference attendees. We're asking people if you're in the discipline and your research relates to this, relates to Argo Gaming, that let us know. We'd like to get you formally on it um, so that we know you're coming and so that you get a line on your CV. But so for, the, for, for the EAA, for those of you guys who are scoring at home, uh, it's the <laughs> European Association of Archaeologists. And where, where's the meeting this year? And, uh, and do Maastricht. We know Maastricht. Yeah. Maastricht, yes. yes. The Netherlands. Beautiful pronunciation yeah. there. <laughs> I pronounce it in a very American way. Uh, mine's in a New Zealand way. We've got, <laughs> we've got the base covered here. Yeah. And this is this is in August? Yes, it's yeah. uh, the 30th of August through 2nd, 3rd of September. Yeah. Okay. And it's going to it's gonna be a good conference. It's going to be... It's very big. So for, um, for American audiences used to the SAAs, it's the equivalent but is anything really the equivalent in terms of sheer mass of archaeologists than uh, a saturday night at the saas i don't think so yeah so that's coming up uh, value is also very involved in that um as are some of our other colleagues and and we're excited about it um and i'm excited obviously about releasing my survey data not releasing the data, collecting the data, because I'm just jumping myself six months into the future so that it's all done. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited about that. It's Today was a, a big launch day when very few things actually broke down, which is nice. So we'll we'll see how that goes. Yeah. But should we, should we jump in now? I mean, like, we've kind of talked a lot about, about Megan and her ethics. Uh, They're not my ethics. They're so archaeological far. ethics. <laughs> well, that's what I'm... I feel like I own them some days, but yeah. I don't. <laughs> well, you're kind of pioneering like the explicit application of them and development of them in archaeology. So it'd be kind of interesting to to have a bit of like a discussion to to uh, prime this session, so to speak, on so, on so what are ethics in archaeology. So, so is this just archaeological ethics, or are you doing like ethics in in digital archaeological space, or or where's where's what where do you find yourself? What niche do you do you occupy, Megan, and, um, and doing ethics in archaeology? Where what I've done so far is I've looked at where are we positioning ourselves with ethics in archaeology? What do we have as existing guidelines? What do we have as existing standards of practice, and how are those being um, adjudicated or not for for professionals in the field. Uh, and I've looked at lots and lots of professional societies and organizations. And one of the big things that I determined was that one, there's not enough codes of ethics in archeology. span We still have some really big groups that I'm not gonna shake my finger at right now, but you know who you are and you don't have any sort of code of conduct or professional written professional standards. Um, and, and I don't, I don't understand how that can be in 2017. Um, but it's one of the things that hopefully I can 
can work on figuring out and, and rectifying. Um, where I go from there is then looking at the existing codes of practice and how much or how little do they actually talk about digital issues. Um, and for the most part, most of them don't. Most of no. them don't have any any explicit mention of digital archaeology um, or, or digital methods or digital recording or technological issues. So it, it just isn't there to begin with. And then the third part of that is then looking at what little is there and looking at the existing archaeological ethics as written and figuring out what do we actually need in a code of practice for digital archaeology. What, um, what standards should we be expecting from each other as professionals in our work, in our research, in our outputs, in our communication with the public, in our working with the public? And how do we address digital issues that can be very quickly changing because of technological changes? How do we continue to address those in ways that are meaningful? Um, and don't just say, you know, be nice to everybody and don't abuse your students. It's one of the things like I'm really interested by, like as a as a game player. I mean, as a game creator as well. Is it's like how do we? I mean, it seems like like I studied ethics like back when I was in my undergrad. But it's like okay, so how do we then go about applying these two systems, like games which have like change or which have um, these kind of like distinct possibility spaces which are quite different and that the game can be like replayed and reoperated and like are, are there specific things about games I guess is what I'm trying to ask that are different to that all that require different codes or different understandings to if we were to be archaeologists operating in a professional capacity digging stuff or analyzing stuff when we look at this as specifically in games we have a, a couple different ways we can look at it we can look at it purely as what is the narrative content that's going on in the games uh, and how does that work in, in a representational sense, like how right or wrong, and we've talked before about authenticity mm. and why it may or may not matter. Yeah, You can look at it that way. You can look at it um, in terms of how... how are, and that's, that's more how are players being influenced by games. You can also look at it in terms of how are we being influenced? What feedback loops are we going through as archaeologists mm. when we are either seeing how we're being represented or seeing what is being privileged as science or what's being privileged as archaeology in games? Mm. And those are those are the sort of the narrative and and aesthetic content issues. The other issue we have to deal with and the one that a lot of my work is focused on right now is if we as researchers are using that space, what ethical constraints are we under? What should we be considering about the very different nature of the place that we are excavating or collecting ethnographic data or looking at code um, or, or any of the things that we're doing? How does, how does that particular space influence what we do and what how we should be behaving yeah because i mean like so i do this all the time and it's like probably horrifically unethical it's like when i get a game i basically spend a lot of time going through like the non-compiled or like trash files that exist in mm. the code still to figure out like 
I don't know, I'm just really interested by like what a developer's doing. But on the other hand, as a developer, I am horrified by the thought of someone going through this in my games because I'm like, please don't look at the things I don't want you to see. And so it's like, and, and it's even down to like really mundane things like comments in my code, mm -hmm. which you can still rip out of like the, the compilation. And it's, I don't know, it's like, when I think about it, I kind of treat these things as if I own them because they're a play space which I'm used to being like in control of it in a way. Like obviously the world is still created and like parametered, but there's something quite different about the way which I think about like doing archaeology on a game versus doing it in real life. I guess actually not that dissimilar to how people did archaeology a while well, ago, but... Th this is interesting too. I mean, if you look at William Rathjee's garbage project mm -hmm. uh, at yeah. the University of Arizona when he was, you know, taking a look at, at the trash that people were throwing out and then interviewing them about this to see, you know, what they were thinking and stuff. And people would be mortified to kind of tell the truth about what they're disposing of. You know, their, their secrets are in the rubbish bin. Yeah. It's much yeah. like like having that commented code kind of squirreled away somewhere where hopefully no one will see it, but people do. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, th I think that that's one of the things that we have to balance when mm. we're doing this work and considering what our ethical obligations are as researchers, because it's, it's not necessarily always right and it's not always necessarily wrong to put those things like your commented code out into the public for people to see. Yeah. They were intended to be a functional private facing aspect of the the creation process but if we take that as an analog in something to do with you know individual family practice or ritual practice yeah. that we're looking at in in an archaeological traditional archaeological context then we certainly have no problem looking at those things and exactly. we look for those things so the public versus the private and the rights of the developer to privacy in in their creation, those are those are interesting issues, uh, and they're not necessarily issues that we have come up with a good idea of how to deal with yet. And we have to. I mean, going forward, even if you're not working in games with archaeology, in I cannot see a future where archaeologists are not going to have to be interacting with digital outputs that were not generated by them. You're yeah, going to have exactly. to be looking at somebody yeah. else's private outputs. I mean, and this is already happening, right? I mean, sorry yeah. to interject, but it's yeah. like, we're already using proprietary software to generate data outcomes yes. and understandings. And this is no different to what we do in games, where we use proprietary software to, like, mm -hmm. see representations. And it's like, there's a, there's a whole lot of, like, baggage that goes along with that, which I'm... I mean, like, it's okay for us to sit down and take a picture of an artifact, because that person's, like, no longer here to mediate, like, what we do with it in a lot of ways so it's a lot more straightforward i mean like obviously there's still like governmental controls and ethical concerns as to whether we should or should not do this especially around things like skeletons and bodies and personal ephemera but it's like in in games the person who made this like they might not like they might not be identifiable but they're still here like they're still i don't know it's right it's interesting I... mm -hmm. Uh, I guess my, my, my question with that is since we're dealing with with built digital environments, you know, like video games and these makers are still most of them are still with us. Um, do we have to follow any kind of ethical guidelines that are set up for contemporary archaeology or archaeology of the recent past? Mm, and, and, yes, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah um, I've been looking at because we don't have this in our we don't really have this in our own. You can use contemporary archaeology. I've been looking to 
um, to allied fields to figure out how we should do this. I've been looking at how sociologists handle these things, and I've been looking at, um, to a degree, um, how media studies are looking at these things. Mm. Um, and what what are they doing? Because some of these fields have been touching these worlds that we're just starting to get our, our travel into in... They've been doing it longer than us, and they have constrictions and guidelines and a canon of practice for what's acceptable and not acceptable. And the difference, of course, is that for the most part, they are all looking at the people as users. Yeah, exactly. The communities of play and not the space within which the community of play exists. So we have to figure out how to get at the material culture of these communities of play in a way that's responsible. And I, I think it's going to take practice, honestly. And, and I'm as much as I like working out the theoretical of it and writing the ethical codes for it, we do need to have more hands-on trial and error. And there's going to be error. There's going to be places where we mess up. So for me, it's very important that we think about the ways that our ethics fell down in past archaeologies to figure out how do we not replicate those mistakes going right. forward. And um, I think like, there's, you, you raise a really interesting point about this, like going beyond reception studies. Cause like it's, mm -hmm. it's very easy to, I mean, I say it's very easy, broad sweeping statement, <laughs> but it's like, it's very easy to identify like sexism and representation, bad, like yeah. gender stereotypes, bad, racial stereotypes, bad, and like, and this is like a good ethical representation. Yeah. What's more difficult, and what I find like fascinating about your work, especially with games, is like, how do we, how do we create, as you say, like these, these constructs for assessing the community of practice and the materiality of these things, which is beyond mm -hmm. just aesthetically what we see or what we read. Yeah. Like, it's quite new, even within like media studies, for example, like, uh, I mean, these things are only just really starting to come to the fore now. I think we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about um, an example of what could be considered archaeogaming, um, but we're <laughs> on the fence still if it is or not. Are we? We'll see. We'll, we'll see. be right back. Uh, uh, yes, yes, I think we are. <laughs> digitaltraining.site, we believe that spending money on learning is great if it helps you solve a problem. If you're a cultural resource management professional, you want to make your workflow faster and more efficient to beat your competitors. If you're a student or young professional, you'll want to learn marketable skills to get that job. If you're a faculty, you want to stay up to date with teaching topics, but you feel overwhelmed by all the technologies and tools out there. Digitaltraining.site is for you. You'll get relevant topics by top-level instructors and downloadable materials at an affordable cost. And if you're an enrolled student, apply for a scholarship and attend for free. Start learning now at digitaltraining.site. Uh, hello everyone and welcome back to 8-Bit Test Pit. Uh, the next section is going to be talking about ethics and gamification uh, within archaeology and uh, video games. And one of these, uh, one of the newest examples right now is one that was created uh, by TED Prize winner Sarah Parkhack. And uh, it's called Global Explorer, and basically what it allows you to do is become a member of the crowd 
that takes a look at images uh, taken from on high from satellite to see if you can find any evidence of looting. Uh, for those of you uh, uh, who are interested in taking a look at this, um, the URL is in the show notes down below, um, and it's also at Global Explorer, and that's spelled G-L-O-B-A-L-X-P-L-O-R-E-R.org, uh, so that you can take a look. Uh, it's free to try, free to play, um, and uh, let's, uh, I think all of us here have actually taken a look at it and have accounts that have played it. Um, oh, and boy! Play, I, use, I, use, I use loosely. You've done a thousand? I've done a thousand, and I, I deeply... I've, I've, done a th- I've done a thousand tiles as well. I have not done a thousand yet, which is probably I should have, but... I'm not going to lie, I got to 200, and I'm they've, just like, oh my god. Like They've, uh, they've reduced the requirement uh, to unlock some of the other stuff that you can do uh, on the platform, like looking at encroachment, for example, you know, basically civilization pushing up against antiquities, yeah. um, to 250 tiles, as yeah. opposed to 1,000 tiles, which unlock, unlocks this other area. The UI still says a thousand though, which is a design problem. It is. Um, yeah, if you're on the, the mailing list for the thing, they said that they'd reduced it you know, to 250, but they haven't updated the UI, correct? With Global Explorer, um, this, uh, this TUD-funded uh, gamified archaeological project, um, the goal, there are a few of them, um, the first goal that, that uh, quote-unquote players are asked to do is to look at tiles taken from satellite photography and uh, see if there's evidence of, of any kind of looting you know, going on in the square that you are given. And um, you're, you go through a little tutorial and, and uh, you're told, well, this is what looting looks like from space and this is what looting doesn't look like from space. And you're given some coaching tips and then um, you're left to your own devices. And so yeah, in play, I've done a thousand tiles uh, so far in anticipation of this episode. And, and uh, you know, it takes maybe a second or two for your brain to kind of recognize patterns in the landscape and then you can click a button. Yes, you know, for, for signs of looting or no for signs of looting and then you are brought to the next tile. And I noticed, um, you know, right now this is being focused uh, in Peru, you know, for the next six weeks or so before they, they switch to another country or another environment. Um, I noticed that there is there appears to be repetition, um, you know, in the tiles that you are given. I guess just to check your work and to see if if, if you're seeing you know uh, ghosts or if you're seeing uh, you know something that's real. And then other people are also seeing similar tiles as well, so that there's kind of a check and balance. Um, yeah, and it gives the, uh, you it gives you sort of a an accuracy score of yourself, like well, it gives you like a, a like confirmation score. Confirmation so it's like score, how many yeah. other people agreed with you on this? Are you in the majority or not? Yeah. yeah. So it's like mine was incredibly low, which I take to mean that everyone else was bad and that I'm really good, and they just didn't. No, I'm kidding. But like, <laughs> <laughs> like the, I don't know. Can we can we first discuss it's, whether this is gamified or yeah, not? Because I looks, have a problem with that it's, title. It's, it's not exactly Counter Strike, is it? Well, it's not even, like, like, it's like gamification kind of refers to this idea of taking a, a ordinary task, whether it's like writing an essay and giving you, like, waypoints of achievement or some kind of reward to inspire you to, like, which, want to do it. Which, which this is doing. Yeah, but it doesn't do it within the UI, and the UI is, like, okay, so, I'm, first of all, I hate gamification, or I hate the term gamification and what it's applied to usually. I just don't really, like, if you're going to make a game, make a good game. Don't cover broccoli with chocolate. Like, you just have the chocolate. <laughs> Which is kind of what I think about gamified games. Like, it's just, it doesn't make any sense to me. 
for that aside, like, there are some valid ways of gamifying things. This, like, if you want to talk about gamification, that, like, the tutorial is like you watch a video for, for, for 15 minutes and then you get dropped into yes-no questions. And I kind of feel like with this, like, if you were willing to accept that this is a game, then you're also willing to accept that, like, answering Google surveys is a game insofar as you get a progress bar towards, like, a goal which is completion. Right, it's task, but it's not game. Yeah. And so it's like, even, like, the gamification, even if I'm willing to accept that they've added levels, so it's like at 251s you turn to being a traveler or something, and then at, like, 550,000 you turn to being a space archaeologist. It's like, kind of like sitting at a customs office checking passports, and it's kind of like... Not lately. But not lately. But it's like, you kind of just do an arbitrary amount of repetitive tasks. And they did that better in Papers, Please. Exactly. In Papers, Please, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's no feedback on the images. There's no ability to add any information. You're literally just saying, like, yes, I think there is, or no, I think there isn't. Which, like, it's it's a valuable and interesting task in its own right. But I think this idea of, like, going after it as gamification is, like, hugely misleading. But that's the way it's being... Sold. Sold yeah. to the public. Or at least... And that's what I'm not sure of. Is that the way it's being sold to everyone in the public? Or is it... Is this a bubble that we're in, where this is how it's being sold to those we associate with in internet spaces? Well, in I the think public? it's kind of following off these like these other great citizen science gamification projects, which have, have kind of been out there for a while, um, and there's a few of them around, so you can kind of like have a browse for them. But those right. kind of, I mean, like I'm thinking of one called Zoo, and oh, I think it's called Zoo. From memory, it's called Zoo. But it's like those projects, the gamification aspects lead to the like for the user to get real world rewards or alternatively for them to have access to information um, in a different way or to collaborate on information. With this, it's like there is these great like Peru National Geographic things, but they unlock on time. Right. They have nothing to do with the gamification. So that like I just have I don't You're know, not the really collaborating is... in no. any right. sense either. No, you're clicking um, yes or no. <laughs> yeah. it's, 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 it's kind of Manhattan Project-like in that everybody is doing something, but you're not quite sure what everybody else is doing. You know what your job is, but not, not yeah, stepping but... elsewhere. Um, taking a look at the About section you know, for Global Explorer, it doesn't mention gamification. It doesn't mention game or even fun you know, in, in the text. So this may be something that we're applying as you know, archaeo gamers to this. Even though it does have hallmarks, uh, a lot of hallmarks of uh, the, the literal release notes for it say gamification. Uh, all right, yeah. So that's, yeah, yeah. So someone somewhere in the process caught onto the idea of making this a game to advertise to people, at least due to promotional material. Yeah, well, it's kind of like the, the the cornerstone of gamification, right? It's like take something which is an inherently boring task, like clicking yes or no as to whether you identify something in an image. And by adding some kind of reward, in this case, like getting a like badge to say that you've done this 50,000 times, like that's somehow supposed to inspire you. But, but I haven't done it enough yet to know where are these badges or what is, what is the reward system for this? Is it tied into anything? Is it tied into social media? Is there anything if I spend the next two weeks instead of writing my dissertation just looking for this? looking for sites that have been looted, apart from the glow in my own heart, which yeah. I would clearly have, yeah. um, where, what outward-facing reward is there None for the user? No, there's, there's, there's not that I can tell either. Okay, so there's um, no integration 
into and any so, sort of promotional material, like to self-promote yourself as participating in this. You get it on right. your page, but I mean, uh, I mean, but this the is... page is all internal, and you have to sign up and have an account. Exactly. Got it. So, so, so anyway, like I've I've been quite negative about this, but it's my my negative points are design based, not the like research orientation or what this project's trying to do. I think there are some right. ethical the, concerns. The ethical but... project is super noble, you know. Mm. Yeah, well, let's get uh, to of. let's get to that in the next segment, um, because I, I I think that whether it's super noble or not is actually something we need to tear into a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I think the idea is I don't know. We, we, next section gamification. Sticking with that for now. Are so there any other issues of gamification with this or beyond the UI? Um, well, I think it's, for me, it's this thing where it's like the, as an archaeologist, I can see immediately the value of this project in terms of like, what is the, what is the data that they're getting out of this? How do they use it? How do you contribute? As a user of this thing, like as a player, I found it really hard to understand, like, like I'm identifying some like different colored blotches on the ground and like, I get that, but it's like the ability for your player to have meaningful interaction or meaningful understanding is just completely separated from the action that they're doing. And I kind of, I don't know, like, I was thinking from like a design perspective of how we could use gamification more interestingly. So it's like, or how we could use it more intelligently even. So like, I got confronted with like literally hundreds of pictures of like fog and trees and random assortments, but I could never, like my yes. only options were yes or no. And I'm like, well, surely it's more interesting to understand like what 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 are people seeing here, or like how can we use this data to do interesting things, or train the computer to, to recognize these patterns, or to understand them, or to get people to check them. At the moment, it's a, like it seems to me like it might be going on under the hood, but it seems like a dumb system. It seems like here is a bunch of images and click yes or no, and then if enough people click yes on it, we'll flag it up to like let the real people look at it. Yeah. Um... We've seen this done, maybe the better effect, um, through the British Museum. I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago, they had the cuneiform project where they were yes. looking at yeah. fragments of papyrus, yeah. and then you, you learned the alphabet a little bit, and you learned how to identify letters, and you could drag and drop and stuff, and then share the things. And, and you know, you still get badges, and, and you know, I guess there's more active community you know, participants there or something. I'm not quite sure if there are any kind of other kind of outward-facing rewards or anything, but it just seemed to be more, more fun. Yeah, um, because you're looking it, at yeah. alphabets as opposed to looking at treetops. Um, yeah, yeah I, I don't know. And this is this is to kind of go to that thing where it's like the issue that I have with the gamification on this is that it's it's dumb gamification, like pure and simple. It's just like oh, whack this over the top to try and make it more attractive, rather than creating like a community of practice or like any kind of meaning to it, aside from what the archaeologists get out. Which I think then raises some interesting ethical considerations. But anyway. Yeah, let's take a break for a minute. And then when we come back, let's talk about those ethical considerations. And let's talk about what this project means to the archaeological community. Yes. Okay. Kim Biddulph explores the books set in our prehistoric past on Prehistories, an innovative and creative show. Kim investigates the archaeology and anthropology behind your favorite stories by bringing on guests that are experts in the field and that can speak to the actual story behind the story. Check out the show at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash prehistories. Now let's get back to the show. Okay, we are back and we are still talking about the gamification issues 
with crowdsourcing projects. Tara, you had some more feelings. I have a lot of feelings. I mean, I'm going to try to be slightly less ranty now. Otherwise, this will be me talking for a long time. But anyway, so we're talking like a little bit in the break between ourselves about this, like some of the ethical considerations of gamification platforms or of kind of crowdsourcing in general. And I think one of the things that really strikes me about this project is that you're basically saying like, hey, people, like, space archaeology is really cool. Come look at archaeology, which is also really cool. And, like, click yes and no on pictures so we can find where looting is. And then, like, the project might go somewhere in the future with this and might make it much more evident what they're doing. But then that's it. Like, as a user, that's the extent of it. You get, like, cut off at that point. You've been used and abused. You've created the data. And there's there's an issue of expertise in this that you're good enough to, as the casual user, you're good enough to identify this and to provide the baseline data, but you're not privy to how it's going to be analyzed. You're not privy to what's going to be done with the information. Or even what is the larger action of what's going to happen with your clicking yes or no. And and you're not going to be credited. Like the platform might be credited thanks to the users of for creating the data, but yeah. you are not going to do right. it. Like I've, well, there, I mean, you know, there's like 29,000 active users on, on Global Explorer uh, when I checked. I you know, so that's a lot today. of people to credit. Yeah. Uh, like, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying the credit's bad, you know, be, being acknowledged is a good thing. It's just a ton of us right now. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, but this is kind of like a wider issue with crowdsourcing, right, within archaeology. That it's like, I don't necessarily think that there's an ethical responsibility to credit every single person. I do. But I think it... We can talk about that. But I think that I there's a... I think that there's a... There's a tension, an ethical tension with how we deal with this. And we've, like, we've done this a lot in the past about kind of like... I want to say like masquerading around and being like, it's for the good of everyone. Like, archaeology is in everyone's interests. Therefore, you're helping humanity. But what we're actually doing is serving someone's, like, distinct research interests. Yes. And in this case, it's, it's evident who that person is. Now, that's not necessarily wrong or bad. But I think that there's a ethical responsibility to state what those aims are. Rather than just backhanding it and saying, like, you, the user, are helping to manifest humanity. Which is, I don't know. It's this like idealistic utopia, which isn't. So well, it's better than the alternative. Well, so my issue with with crowdsourcing this sort of thing is that it's a replication of a systemic problem that we had already. And the systemic problem was that there were not enough quote unquote educated mm. archaeologists. There were not enough people to be in charge and analyzing the data, or rather, there were there were a finite number of them. But there weren't enough people to just do everything else. So you go into the field and you bring students and you use students for labor. And students are rarely involved in the writing up process or the actual analysis. They're involved in the rote physical labor. Doing. And I'm not denigrating the physical aspects of archaeology or how important the on the ground process is. I was in field archaeology for over 10 years. I get that it's hard and I get that it takes skill and I can tell you the difference between someone who is good at excavation and someone who is not. But students are frequently misused in this way. Indigenous labor is frequently misused in this way. We go into countries and we hire big crews of people and sometimes we pay them well. Most of the time we don't. It's generally their land or their area of cultural patrimony. 
And we have not, until very recently, been very good about integrating them into the research process or asking what they cared about or whether they thought we should be doing this at all. Yep. And we're doing the same thing now no. with yep. crowdsourcing. We're saying, all of you out there, all of you 31,000 people, you are good enough to look at this stuff, to look at these images and identify if something's being looted. But we don't think your expertise is enough to put you into the next level of knowledge production. And this is what I was talking about a bit with the gamification, which is that the, the level which people are operating at is literally yes, no. And then they kind of like take an average of our responses. You're not actually contributing, like you're not tagging or saying what you think or doing anything. And like, and this is getting very like post-processional. It's like not necessarily that everyone needs a voice, but how do you make meaningful contribution? Okay, that aside, I'm gonna box that for a minute. <laughs> Put it in <laughs> a box, bury it way down deep. <laughs> But I think that there's another question or another like interesting point that Megan's brought up, which is about the, the coloniality of, of this. So it's like, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Andrew. No, I mean, I, we might be making assumptions there with the coloniality ness of, of, of what's going on. We don't know what the next level up is. We don't know if, if everybody on the planet is clicking on Peru, if that the data for Peru goes to Peruvian archaeologists is the next step. Yeah, we but, don't know. But, but it's uh, not being the initial level of data collection is not being done by Peruvians. It's exactly. being done by us. And um, I have dug yeah. in Peru, but I still don't feel like I should be making all the decisions about what's going on with this data set. Yeah. And this is like kind of when I was playing, I was thinking about it. Like I worked out in Egypt and we had a lot of looting and digging problems out there. And it was like for us to go around and have this kind of idea that it's like we know where sites are because we use space archaeology mm -hmm. and we know where looting happens because we use space archaeology it's it's not that it demeans the the knowledge on the ground but it ignores it no. and uh, uh, like, and like it privileges is, architecture and physical above ground material remains yeah more than i mean there's no landscape archaeology I, no. in this whatsoever but but it's, i mean like to I, kind don't, of, I, 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 I don't know about that i mean you know we're looking at pattern recognition here which is independent of everything else we can recognize patterns and this gives us something to look at you know at the next stage and you know it is part of the landscape and it's not giving priority to built environments it's basically looking at looking at stuff from the top down and seeing if there are human-made patterns that perhaps shouldn't be in the landscape and then those get vetted next absolutely but it's it's it does have a very specific set of things that it looks at like for example where i was working out in fayum was like surface scatter complete surface scatter there's no built environment there is no touch landscape like there's still looting that happens there but it's like you can identify that but it, it, it does have very particular privileges and i think that to kind of like go back to the ethics of this thing it's like the, the coloniality i mean like this project has very specific research aims, and it's not that the way that it approaches it is wrong. It's the fact that I think, well, for me, the part of the problem is that it, it makes it seem like this is the way and, like, the future and the kind of, like, this is how we identify looting. This is how we make things better. And it kind of doesn't really fit, fit in well, with a lot of the stuff on the ground. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't. I mean, you know, sure there's hype, and you want to have hype because you want to have people to come and, and play. And even if they only do a thousand tiles, that's a thousand tiles that wouldn't have been ordinarily done by by somebody else. So so that's one thing. Totally. Um, the, uh, I, I, I was going to say something else that was going to be good. But <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I forgot what it is. Oh, you know, um, 
Professor Parkak was doing this before the TED Prize, and this is you know one of the reasons why she got it is because she was having so much success rates, specifically in Egypt, um, in in looking at photos and being able to identify sites and identify looting, and it seemed to be enough of a problem or or a solution to a big enough problem or. Um, that didn't require you know a lot of overhead. I mean, if you had access to a satellite with a camera, you can see this stuff. And she was getting results. And and but here's you know, my problem with that: this doesn't prevent looting in any way. It, We're looking it at the post. Prevent it, but it allows us to kind of track it. You know, and I think that's what's what's maybe the the difference here is that we're we're not preventing looting per se by participating but we are what we are able to do is identify sites and if we can identify sites then we can potentially you know uh look at patterns of looting behavior in these particular countries or regions and and see where we can go from there yeah um no i agree i agree with you you know i i will yell and scream that this isn't preventing looting but we're not preventing it any other way no right now and i don't think Um, it has to prevent looting but for me, I would like to see, I would like to see, and we're not going to get into the money aspects of this very much, <laughs> but I would like to see big funded projects not being after the fact dealing with, with antiquities trading um, and trafficking. I would like to see these projects being done upfront as preventative. And there's a lot of people who have worked on a lot of stuff that shows us what we need to be doing in terms of preventative yeah. and in terms of um, ending the markets and ending demand and and this project feels like it's it's after the fact it's after the after the bad stuff has happened then we're going to tell you where it happened but we're not going to know anything about what was actually still in on the site we're not going to know anything about anything related to it and if you're the public, you're not going to know anything at all yeah, because you're exactly. not privileged to that information. Yeah. And again, like, like I totally agree with you. But I, just, like, I kind of have this thing in my head that I do, at the core, like the project. And I think it's doing some good stuff. But I just think that it needs to, uh, I guess, reframe itself and be more, not honest, that's the wrong term, but like more upfront with how it's doing it and what it's doing for it to be. It just jars with me is, is my thing. Especially from a like interactive design perspective, currently. No. Um, and I, I guess my, my closing thought here is, is thinking about next steps because you know everything is iterative. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, yeah. So so what's next? And, and you know maybe one of the things I would love to know the time and date stamps of these satellite photographs were they taken last week, last month, last year? Because what you could do is actually use this as a preventative measure for looting. If one day somebody says, "Oh, here's a looting image," and then the next team up says, "Yeah, you're right." And then they can deploy, you know, local law enforcement or archaeologists or something like that to that area within a day or so, you know, to see what happened, what was there, and maybe stake it out and see if looters come back the next day or something. So, you know, having something appear in the landscape, you know, that is evidence of, of looting, you know, it does, does allow, you know, the, the archaeologists uh, in combination with, uh, with local law enforcement to go out and see what happened or what's happening and conceivably, you know, potentially put a stop to to whatever's going on. If the looter's there yeah. one night, they'll probably come back. And so knowing knowing time sensitivity of this, I, I think would be helpful and potentially offer, you know, something that is more of immediate use to preserving cultural heritage. And the thing is, I think the thing with that is that that data's probably all actually in the metaheader already of these satellite images. Yes. It's just us as the public can't see it. And that, like this kind of goes back to this thing where it's like, 
I don't know, like dressing up what you're like, literally what you're doing is identifying or like, yes or no, what do you think? And that's the extent of your interaction here. And the problem which I see is that, I mean, I mean, I'm an archaeologist, so it's kind of like, I want to know what data is being collected, how this is filtering, how this is going to be enacted and changed. And that's very vague, like the, uh, th there's no explicit kind of thing put out by this other than like, you'll identify looting and that will help us and humanity. And like, that's a very noble and broad aim, but I don't know, I struggle to reconcile the interactive design with the ethical considerations of what you're actually getting people to do, which is basically like... Free labour. Free labour, yeah. With how you're going to use that data, which is to answer your own specific research questions. Uh, I don't know. I don't know, man. I want to be really enthusiastic about it. So do I. I'm just having a hard time. <laughs> yeah. We're just grumpy academics. Yeah. I think that one... If I could make a statement for everybody, I think what we can take away from this is that we do not have good standards yet yeah. on deciding what is acceptable and unacceptable for intensely digital practice this way. Yeah. This is digital practice that that has ramifications in the real world, but which is for the average user entirely internet based and we just don't have a framework yet for what that's supposed to look like yeah. for us as users or what it's supposed to look like for us as researchers yeah if, if you look at and i know that the archaeologists many of them involved in this project and they are in professional societies with codes of conduct and the codes of conduct simply do not have anything to do with this project or their research yeah and that's not their fault and you know, full disclosure, I'm I'm on an ethics committee for one of the major societies. This is something we have to deal with. Yeah, um, I think that's it. The, the fact that we're being so critical is a good indication that it's like, we don't really actually know what is like acceptable or not or right. ethical or not. And so we do need to be, I mean, like you need to always be critically thinking right about these things. But I think having frank and open discussions rather than just riding the hype train of like, choo-choo. Yeah. Awesome. But projects like this, they they contribute to building a canon yeah. of of practice, and we have to have that in order to do better. Yeah, and that that's the big thing I would want people to take yeah. away from this this whole enterprise. No, this this is true. To add on to that, one of the things that we can that we should be asking for for any project like this is what their publication plan is. Yeah. yeah. Are they planning on publishing the data? Are they planning on doing white papers and stuff? Because that's going to really help us answer these kinds of questions, you know, that's kind of meta, you know, surrounding the, uh, uh, the project itself or projects like this. And future. for me, apart from the purely scholarly publications, I want to know how are they planning on conveying this to the public that is providing them the data set. The data, exactly, exactly. What are, yeah. How are we going to see this reflected in a way that someone who does not have a doctoral level education could be participating in this and doing really, really well? Because like you said, it's pattern recognition, it's skills-based. None of those things are things you have to have higher education for. What is that person going to get from this as far as understanding how they contributed yeah yeah so that uh all was incredibly depressing and we're really sorry um it was critical it wasn't depressing it was like welcome to my days studying archaeological ethics PhD life. go this on like day-long rants yeah this is what it's like um university of york except usually with more coffee yeah yeah i need to send you a light box <laughs> 
I have one that's oh, what's no. sad. <laughs> I got one very soon after I moved here. Yeah. All right, so we're going to go ahead and say our goodbyes now, and we will see you next time. Yes, I feel oh, like wow. we can sing the outro. Like, so long, so long, farewell. Well. Well. <laughs> goodbye. goodbye. We hate everything. That means I can be ambassador to Austria, right? <laughs> All right, say goodbye, kids. Bye. If you like what you've heard, subscribe and share us with your social network. 8-Bit Test Pit is available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or online at the Archaeology Podcast Network site. Be sure to comment and give us a like wherever you listen. And consider donating to the show and the network on our website, archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. This show is produced by Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle and edited by Chris Sims. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. If you like this podcast, you might be interested in other podcasts that focus on the humanities. In fact... If you search Twitter for the hashtag Humanities Podcasts, you'll find plenty of shows on history, language, literature, philosophy, art, and more. These are podcasts by people who enjoy telling stories, exploring the arts in our world, and who want to share their knowledge. Some examples of podcasts you'll find are Go Dig a Hole, an archaeology podcast, the Trojan War podcast, which retells the classic myth, and As We Like It, where three friends talk about film adaptions of Shakespeare. Search the hashtag Humanities Podcast today or follow Humanities Podcasters on Twitter. And if you're a Humanities Podcaster, use the hashtag in your tweets so others can find you.